Welcome to the Discovery Doc Podcast, where we advocate for optimal wellness and reducing everyday toxic loads, no matter where life takes you. I'm Dr. Cece, doctor in nursing practice, self-proclaimed toxin tamer, and a crunchy mama. I'm Anna Kate, a medical mystery overachiever and your discovery liaison. Join us on this exciting journey as we explore the world of holistic health, cutting edge research, and practical solutions for a healthier life. Together, we'll navigate through the complexities of wellness, sharing valuable insights, and expert advice. Tune in to the Discovery Doc Podcast. Get ready to be inspired, empowered, and discover a whole new way of looking at your health. Welcome back to the Discovery Doc Podcast. I'm here with your host, Dr. Cece, functional medicine nurse practitioner, self-proclaimed toxin tamer, and crunchy mama, and our co-host... I'm Anna Kate, your medical mystery overachiever and discovery liaison. And we are back with the beautiful face of Dr. Jafari. And we are going to step into part two. And I know you have a burning question that you want to ask her. So can you reintroduce her? I do. Yes. Dr. Jafari is a wonderful dentist that I refer a lot of our patients to. She is a tethered oral tie expert. We nail that. We nail that phrase every time. Um, and so if you didn't listen to part one, please go back and listen to learn about all the things tethered oral ties in terms of newborns. And if you're pregnant and, you know, waiting your baby to come, what can we prepare for? What can we look out for symptoms that, you know, could be happening or going on if your baby is driven in these ties. So we are so excited to dive into part two with you, Dr. Jafari. And my burning question is thoughts on pacifiers. Um, so, uh, great question. Um, cause this is a topic that, um, you know, uh, comes up every once in a while, but I don't think there's as much awareness. Cause I think just as a, a society, we rely on pacifiers a lot. Um, there are certain things that we need to know about pacifiers and I would want uh, parents to know, um, is that a pacifier is actually the first orthopedic appliance, meaning that it's an appliance that's going to change uh, bone development. So choosing the pacifier pacifier correctly and using it properly becomes really important because it can impact the way your baby's uh, mouth is developing. So um, as we all know, um, our head is not fully developed when we're born. We are um, uh, we have uh, uh, sutures that are open to help us shape our uh, uh, cranium certain way to be able to be born through the birth canal. Um, because of that and the same concept, the bone of the palate is also very malleable. So um, it can change very quickly and rapidly and with not a lot of um, force. So a lot of times when babies are born at the hospital, we are given a pacifier. <clears throat> and from like the first like, you know, uh, hours of life, this pacifier, especially uh, ones that are really ha- hard silicone um, and the baby's sucking on the pacifier. So there's something in between the palate and the tongue and the tongue's pressing that tissue uh, sorry, the, uh, the uh, plastic into the roof of the mouth or silicone, it can cause changes in the roof of the mouth. Um, a nipple 
uh, acts a lot different than a, a, a pacifier does. So uh, when nipple tissue goes in the mouth, it flattens. Um, and the actual, like the flattening of that nipple with, when the baby's sucking and putting pressure, it actually helps to grow the roof of the mouth and flatten the palate. Uh, <clears throat> but a pacifier would uh, work against that. And there are uh, better pacifiers. I like the pacifier from Nini Company, uh, Niniko.com. And their uh, pacifier has a wider base, a very soft silicone with a graduated nipple shape where the baby can practice a better latch, a wider latch. And also their tongue has to function the way it's functioning on the breast to be able to hold the pacifier in. So if we need to use the pacifier, uh, just be mindful that uh, not to use it kind of as a mute button, uh, mm -hmm. but, all, but to use it as a tool. So it can be a great tool for developing oral function um, when used sparingly. Uh, and sometimes we need it, you know, for the baby to uh, calm down or go to sleep. But it's when it's in the mouth full time, just sitting in the mouth, baby is walking around with it, um, that it's teaching the tongue to rest low in the mouth, it's pressing the um, nipple to deepen the palate. It just uh, doesn't help with oral development. Um, and my recommendation, so um, six to eight months of life, we want to, we want to discontinue use of pacifier if we are using it. Okay. And if that, with that pacifier kind of pressing up against the top of the palate, one other question that I had kind of earlier as well is how does, whether a baby is born with a higher palate or we are overusing kind of a pacifier that might be contributing to that high palate, how does a high palate specifically impact baby? Or, or adults, because I have a high, I have a high. Absolutely, palate. great question. So, or adults, <laughs> don't we all? <laughs> um, so, uh, some babies are born with a higher palate, <clears throat> deeper palate, mm -hmm. and the reason for that. So, uh, a tongue tie is actually developed eight weeks in utero. So, from that early um, development of the palate. If that tongue's not free to rest in the roof of the mouth, um, we, the palate may not get the proper stimulation for proper growth, right? So some babies are born, uh, and I see it a lot with tongue-tied babies, is that we're born with, uh, with uh, more high-arched, uh, deeper palates. Um, A deeper palate will contribute to, to the way that the tongue is able to reach the roof of the mouth, right? So, um, and it's always like a double-edged sword because we have the deep palate and we have the tongue tie. So it's, it makes it even more challenging for the tongue to be able to reach the roof of the mouth. So when we do a release, the tongue can reach better. And hopefully with breastfeeding, proper breastfeeding and the breast tissue pressing up against the roof of the mouth, 
over the first two years of life, we can see a lot of positive changes to the roof of the mouth. Mm -hmm. um, the first two years of life, the craniofacial complex develops to 50% of our adult size, which is why toddlers all have big heads. Because <laughs> our head grows really fast initially. Um, so if we can harness that good oral function and get the tongue to the roof of the mouth as early as we can, and hopefully with breastfeeding or proper bottle feeding, uh, meaning that we're choosing the right bottles to support oral function, and we're not overusing pacifiers, to allow the tongue to rest in the roof of the mouth and press into the roof of the mouth, the first two years of life, we can hopefully make a lot of positive changes in the shape of the palate. Because mm -hmm. there's a lot of growth that's happening the first two years. If that doesn't happen, that same growth pattern does continue and it doesn't get uh, fortunately better with age. Um, by four years of age, our craniofacial growth and development is around 75% complete. So by four years of age, we can really look at a child and see if they are going in the right direction for their growth pattern or if they're going the not so correct uh, way and we can get them caught up so easily with uh, palatal expansion or and growth development appliances. Um, and it's really easy at that early age because the bone is still growing, There's uh, the suit, bone sutures are still open and growth uh, plates are, are active. So we can just guide growth in the right direction. Um, so if we don't have that um, corrected, there are, you know, later in life, there are uh, a lot of different things that are associated with uh, a, a deeper, higher palate. And the first thing that most people know about would be like teeth crowding, right? So like your uh, child, uh, your um, um, baby has uh, straight, beautiful teeth that are like lined up like they had braces, <laughs> right? <laughs> Um, but that's actually a, not a good sign. If we don't have enough space between the baby teeth, so uh, as a general rule, we want um, uh, to be able to, to fit a coin between, like a sideways between each tooth. That's how much space we need between the teeth. And that would indicate that we would have enough space as the adult teeth start coming in. Obviously, permanent teeth are a lot larger than baby teeth. So we need to have more space um, and that space between the baby teeth kind of indicates that we have a little bit more space and we have better development. So some of the signs like to look for is like if your baby is not having enough space between the teeth, they may not have as much development of the upper jaw. And uh, now if you don't have as much development of your upper jaw, um, you end up with crowded teeth um, and a lot of times, um, unfortunately, we are uh, uh, waiting too long. Uh, so the recommendation that I learned in school is to wait till age seven before you or refer to an orthodontist, right? So by age seven, most of that growth is, is gone. Like if from age four to seven, we only are like growing like 10%, why not start earlier and, and, and correct things earlier 
rather than waiting for for growth to go so uh, like the wrong direction. And now we are trying to catch up so much. And we're not able to make as much impact in a seven-year-old than a four-year-old, right? So we can do a lot more when they're younger. Um, so um, if we, we um, go to an orthodontist that may not be as aware as the, uh, on the impact of oral um, cavity on the rest of the body, they may take out permanent teeth to give you a nice smile. So if you have a lot of crowding um, and uh, you are uh, you don't have a good, nice smile, an orthodontist that may not be as aware may take out permanent teeth uh, to have enough space to line your teeth up. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't address the underdevelopment of the jaws, uh, which also means that your nasal uh floor of your nose is not uh, developed properly because again I mentioned previously that it's the same bone so uh, mm-hmm. if the floor of your mouth is deep and narrow uh, you probably uh, have a smaller nasal chamber your septum that's in the middle as the palate goes deeper that septum be- becomes deviated so then it further impacts the way you you may be able to function through your nose the lateral borders of the sinuses are part of that maxilla also. So if you have smaller sinuses and get a lot of sinus infections, um, it could mean that you have underdeveloped sinuses and maxilla. Um, also, the lateral borders of the, uh, of the eye socket. So um, some uh, there are studies now looking at myopia and uh, underdevelopment of, of upper jaw. So there could be like changes to the shape of the, the eye because your upper jaw didn't grow properly. So uh, it's really important to address the, the, the development because that also gives you enough room for your tongue to be able to function. So um, we see uh, the same way that a tongue tie can affect speech, an underdeveloped palate can also impact speech uh, because the tongue has to be able to make specific connections to specific connection uh, points in the palate for uh, proper sound development. And if you have too deep of a or small palate, then you may develop like a lateral lisp or um, because your tongue doesn't just doesn't have room to function. So we definitely mm-hmm. see improvements in speech with just expansion and we haven't done anything with the tongue. So, um, uh, there are there's so many different things I just uh, uh, you know mentioned a couple but this is something like I could be talking about all day. There's so many different things that could be um, uh, connected to a like a deeper palate. Right. This that that whole thing when you said the seven year old was so triggering because I have a confession. You so why I mean my first introduction to you was when I had Jada. And I knew she was super tight and I was like panicking. I was like, I need to get in now. I had mastitis twice within two weeks of birth. And that was amazing. Got that corrected. And then I brought Ava to you. And at the time she was probably, this had to be two or three years ago. And you told me, you told me that she has a higher palate and she'll probably, and she has some teeth crowding already. 
And as her big teeth come in, she'll probably have more crying, so we should do something about it now. And like a terrible patient, I did not. And now she's seven, and it literally is the exact what you just said. I mean, she's she's her big teeth are coming in and they're overlapping. I mean, she literally has a baby tooth that's behind a big tooth, and I'm like, oh my gosh, now I just ruined my child. I didn't listen to Doctor Jafari, so I will be making an appointment with you again. No, you did that. My mistake. You didn't ruin her. But it makes so much sense. And I think that's such a valuable learning point is that, you know, in my brain at that time, like life just happened. I didn't think about it. But even in my brain, I was like, well, isn't she young? Like for expansion, isn't she young? Because in my brain, it's such a, okay, you go to the orthodontist once big teeth start coming in. And so that's like eight, nine, you know, years old, not at four or five. And so I think that's such a valuable point for parents to know that. And to learn from my mess up. <laughs> but it'd be easier to put a retainer in while the palate is soft to spread that out exactly. and open that up. Rather than putting in a device that they have to drill into the bone and turn a key to physically separate that and let it grow back. That makes way more sense. Way more sense. That's what I had. I remember that. My mom used to, like, every, what was it, every week she would yeah. come up and turn, turn look. the expander. Oh. That's what I had. But it was like grade school. Yeah. Yeah. It was, I mean, I had to be at least fifth grade you know, way beyond what you're saying. So it, it totally makes sense. I really appreciate those points and I will be calling your office on Monday. I didn't, I didn't, um. have, I didn't, I didn't have to do that, but I do have a higher palate. So when I did get my braces, they had to, I had a lip tie. And so I had to, I remember having to have that removed because when they pushed my front teeth back together, it would have caused yeah. severe pain. And they were like, we just need to take care, care of this. Of revision. So, I mean, that's incredible that you can, address orthodontic issues or pre way before they happen pre yeah like yeah. and just get it okay so here's my here's my question as the discovery liaison what is the perfect palate shape like what are we looking for i mean my palate is high because i sucked this finger and i i don't know i don't know how i fit it in there but i would push it up in <laughs> my mouth you can't cut off a finger like you can take away a pacifier Ava did these two. Oh yeah these two for years did she push down or up uh, great question. Up. No idea. I made, I just made that up, but okay. I would guess up. So she would do these two fingers this way. Oh no, she did. She, so she'd push her. Down. Yeah. Okay. So I would do it with my finger. For those of you on, in listening land, I would hold my hand up, my palm facing away from me, and stick my the base of my finger on the roof of my mouth and push up. I don't know. It was so comfortable when I was a little kid, and I had a pillow and everything. But I have a high palate. So that makes sense now, but they couldn't t cut my finger off. Dad threatened to. He's like, you gotta quit sucking your finger. <laughs> well, I mean, so what are the things That's that we could- That's such a good point that you made. That's such a good point that you made because uh, with uh, uh, digit sucking, that's one of the most difficult things that I see parents struggling with I tried because everything. it is very challenging. It's very challenging to get that to stop because that's how they're, you know, self-soothing. Um, one thing that would be really interested for you to know, for you guys to know, is that uh, the back part of the roof of the mouth, so not the front uh, two-thirds, but the back one-third, is innervated by the vagus nerve. Now, vagus nerve is our 
you know, rest and digest nerve, right? So yeah. uh, the reason why we seek that uh, or a pacifier is to stimulate the, uh, 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 that vagus nerve that helps us soothe and relax. Now that's the job of the tongue. So with the tongue pressing in the roof of the mouth, we can really impact uh, the way our body relaxes because it uh, activates that vagus nerve. So a lot of times, like if your tongue can't reach up there, you seek other things to, uh, to stimulate that vagus nerve. And it's really difficult to take it away because uh, it's how you've learned to self-soothe, right? Mm -hmm. But <laughs> if you're learn, if we, um, uh, you know, uh, stop the behavior when it's happening, that's typically like the easiest time to uh, to um, uh, change that behavior because once it sets in, it's really challenging to get rid of digit sucking. Mm -hmm. um, so um, I recommend using, you know, sleepers that have the hands covered. Like I use the zippity zip for all my babies to transition from, you know, their sleeping sacks all have their hands covered. They can still move around, but their <laughs> fingers aren't out. Um, mm -hmm. Or if they're young, using mittens. Uh, so as long as like you see the hands in the mouth, like chewing, that's all very developmentally appropriate. Uh, chewing on finger like I love uh, like chewy tubes to replace the, so that they can chew the more we chew the better growth and development we get too because it strengthens the tongue and uh, gives uh, feedback to the jaws to grow more so the harder and more complex the food is we get better growth and development as well so I, I want to make, make sure to mention that and um, that nutrition also and the, the, the um, nutritional content of food and hardness of food is also really important in growth and development. But, um, uh, but when it comes to sucking, whatever the, then at that point, mittens need to go on so that they find other ways of self-soothing. Um, and uh, we want to encourage the tongue to the rest, to the roof of the mouth. Um, so one thing that you asked about was like, what does a normal looking palate look like? Um, and uh, how do we know, and, you know, uh, what we're looking at? So um, what we're looking at is a wide and flat roof of the mouth. So if you look inside your mouth and it goes all the way deep, then that's not a normal shape to the roof of the mouth. What we're looking for is it for it to be flat and wide. <laughs> and uh, one way to check uh, the size of the roof of your mouth is checking the uh, your bone width with your tissue width because your tongue will grow normally um, even if it's resting low. But uh, what we want is for your soft tissue, so your tongue, to fit inside the roof of your mouth. So the mm -hmm. way we check that is by holding your tongue to the roof of your mouth where it belongs, in the roof of the mouth and looking to see does your tongue fit or is your tongue kind of coming over and spilling over your teeth like you don't have enough room for your tongue uh, inside the roof of your mouth um, and that's if you can get your tongue to fit fully in the roof of your mouth because sometimes 
only the front part of the tongue can lift, but the back is not lifting. Mm-hmm. So um, <laughs> the first thing to do is like practice that suction hold. Yes. <laughs> if for those of you not watching us on YouTube, we're I all over here. Said. Tongue fits on top of our mouth. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So, um, uh, if you have a mat, if your tongue size matches the roof of your mouth, that typically means you've had uh, good growth and development. If your tongue is spilling over your teeth, like uh, going over your teeth when you do, when you hold your tongue to the roof of your mouth, that probably indicates that you don't have as much width for your tongue and your tongue is, uh, your roof of your mouth is smaller than it was supposed to grow uh, to this to fit your tongue. Amazing. That's yeah, that's I failed my child because yeah. no, I, I need everybody here to know that when Ava was sucking these fingers, I mean, she started doing it at six weeks old. And Will and I, my husband, and I were like, how great she's self soothing. She doesn't need a pacifier. And so we didn't stop it. And it's just like, shoulda, woulda, coulda, you know? And then she was five years old, still doing it. And then you try to nip that in the bud at five years old. And man, that is hard. Can't cut those fingers off. No, you can't cut them off. It's illegal or I would go to jail, you know? (laughs) But that is switching gears a little bit. Um, Another big topic I would like, I would love to cover in, in our chat with you are mouth breathers. And this could be kids or adults. What are, you know, I think that a lot of people are like, hey, yeah, I'm a mouth breather. My mouth is open all night, you know, while I sleep. What are the implications that you see? What's going on with the airway when we're mouth breathers? What are the the symptoms that kids or adults can see if they're a mouth breather? And what can we do about it? How much time do we have? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Give me the floor. Oh, my God. So mouth breathing, um, I'm really happy you bring that up because mouth breathing is um, is the uh, one of the biggest inflammatory defenses to our uh, uh, offenses to our body, right? So um, uh, when you breathe through your mouth, your body in general is in a higher state of stress than if you're a nose breather. That can go for both kids and adults. Now, what is mouth breathing? Like what's considered mouth breathing? Because sometimes, honestly, most of the patients I ask don't even know if they mouth breathe at all. And we all think we are nose breathers. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But uh, being, uh, the first thing is just like the awareness, like uh, really catching yourself throughout the day to see, is your mouth open or is your mouth closed? Um, because most of us mouth breathe more than we think. Now in kids, so uh, during sleep, um, mouth breathing becomes a lot more um, um, pathologic because our stages of sleep is dependent on our oxygen and carbon dioxide exchange. Okay, so if... um, if you're breathing through the nose, the nose passes through, uh, the uh, air passes through the nose 
gets filtered, it slows down, it humidifies, and it gets sterilized. Like uh, we have special cells in our sinuses. If they're active, they are releasing nitric oxide to help kill anything that's coming through to the to the body. So the the air that actually gets to our lungs when we are nose breathing is clean, it's uh, slowed down, it's humidified. So mm-hmm. when it gets to the lungs, it's the best combination for our body to be able to take up as much oxygen and the, the oxygen carbon dioxide exchange goes really smoothly. When we breathe through our mouth, none of that is done. The first things that, like the things that try to kind of filter the air a little bit are the tonsils and adenoids that are behind the, the, the mouth. So they can get really irritated and inflamed because they're constantly being hit by unclean, cold weather and they get uh, inflamed and they can also get uh, chronically like um, hypertrophied. Okay. Mm-hmm. So once they pass those, then they get to the lungs and the lung is getting this huge volume of fast, cold, unfiltered air. And so it kind of like spasms and you can't like take it like a really deep breath when you're breathing through your mouth. You can take much deeper breath breathing through your nose is because it's like a warmer, more comfortable air for the lungs. So because of that, that carbon oxygen uh, exchange doesn't happen as well. Um, Mouth breathing is a type of hyperventilation. You know how like you, if you breathe really quick, you pass out because your carbon dioxide, like you get, you have more, you don't have that good exchange. Uh, It's a mild version of that. So when you're asleep and we're breathing through our mouth, uh, our brain can't fully shut down. It has to kind of stay awake to navigate where that oxygen is going, which areas need it the most, um, and which areas don't need it as much. So we see, uh, because we are more of a um, fight or flight state rather than uh, rest and digest state, uh, we see a lot of those symptoms. So for example, like if you're at the zoo and a lion jumps in front of you, probably the first thing that you're going to do is pee yourself (laughs) because the urinary tract is not that important at that moment. Right. And then you start running. So, um, the urinary tract gets there, gets the oxygen cut off. So some kids tend to bedwet for a longer period of time than, you know, they should be. Um, and it could be that stress response. Um, and but most importantly we see a lot of kids like kicking moving around all you know all around the bed they 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 sleep on this side they wake up like on the floor you know somewhere else um or if you're sleeping next to them they're you're constantly being kicked it's because of that uh oxygen input into those big muscles to run away from a predator (laughs) right and we should not be in that state when you're sleeping we should be in a more uh, state of uh, rest and digest. So nose breathing helps the brain to be able to hit those uh, sleep cycles better. Um, so we have a more restful sleep. So it's not all about like how long you're sleeping. 
it's also like the quality of sleep like because uh, uh, some parents are like no i just put my kid like in the room and they wake up the next morning you know they don't wake up in the middle of the night but we also have ones that wake up like every hour in the middle of the night um mm-hmm. so it really like is how the kid is impacted and kids uh, behave di- differently but uh, just knowing that it does put a big toll on uh, on the body breathing through the mouth versus breathing through the nose and um, what makes breathing like how much mouth breathing is normal um, is four percent so uh, in order to be considered a nose breather you should be breathing through your nose more than 96 percent of the time when you're sleeping anything over 10 percent of mouth breathing becomes pathologic so we see negative impacts with like even uh, 10% or more of mouth breathing. Now, mouth breathing alone uh, has been linked to behavioral changes uh, in kids. So uh, there are a lot of studies showing that kids with ADD, ADHD, or uh, aggressive behaviors or uh, low concentration behaviors um, are because they're not getting that good uh, sleep, the sleep patterns at night, and it's affecting mm-hmm. the way they're. It's just like us, right? Like if if I don't get two nights of good sleep, I'm cranky, I'm moody, uh, I can't concentrate. I have to read something over like ten times to get it. It's but imagine like for a kid if that's every night um, for you know a few years of their life. So um, making sure that we're checking our kids. Uh, when they're sleeping, even after they're like out of our room and our cameras go away, you know, best time to check your kids would be um, uh, that second hour of sleep. So when they're in the REM cycle is when most of the issues show up, uh, when all the muscles relax. So if you see snoring, mouth breathing, um, it's uh, that those are like really big red flags. Um, sleeping with the head tilted back to open the airway is also like another sign, kicking, moving around, uh, waking up not rested with like dark circles under the eyes. Those are all signs that we may not be oxygenating well at night. Um, mm. And uh, also it's important to know that during sleep, a lot of things happen. So it's like the deepest NREM sleep is when growth hormone is produced. So Mm -hmm. if you're not hitting those stages of deep sleep, we may not get as much growth hormone, then, you know, you guys are (laughs) know the impacts of that. Um, But also uh, there there are studies that show that snoring alone um, impacts brain development in kids. So Mm -hmm. it's more than just, oh yeah, like they didn't get good nights of sleep. We're actually, seeing changes in and in, in brain development uh, when kids are not uh, breathing through their nose or snoring at night. Um, so it's really important to pay attention um, to mouth breathing um, and the and, and trying to correct that if we see that in our kids. What can be done to correct it? Um, so the first thing is establishing nasal breathing. So uh, coming up with a really good nasal hygiene routine is really important. So the same way we clean our teeth, we also clean our nose. Um, a saline solution to rinse the nose 
especially when they're sick. So if they're sick, we want to make sure to flush everything out. So um, uh, I love NailMed bottles personally, um, N-E-I-L-M-E-D, NailMed bottles. It's like a squishy bottle. You uh, mix the saline and uh, you uh, uh, rinse the nose, uh, followed by a, a clear nasal spray. It's X-L-E-A-R. And they have adult sprays, they have kid drops. Um, uh, this, uh, the clear has uh, uh, saline, but it also incorporates xylitol, which um, helps uh, to moisten and reduce inflammation. And it creates uh, a positive environment for good bacteria, and it helps inhibit the growth of bad uh, bacteria. It also has GSC, uh, grapefruit seed extract, uh, in it. Uh, so it can also help uh, kill, um, you know, other pathogenic uh, um, uh, things that may be in the sinuses. So, so it helps lubricate. So we do like a nasal saline followed by a drop or a spray of the uh, clear in the nose. That's the first thing that we can do to like make sure the nose is clear, right? Um, so a lot of times we see like a lot of allergies and uh, not just in the form of like environmental allergies, but also like, uh, food sensitivities, uh, mm -hmm. gut health, uh, and gut microbiota become really important here because they can cause inflammation throughout the body. Um, and, uh, the, uh, as I mentioned before, the, the, the tonsils, adenoids, and the nasal turbinates, the lining of the uh, of the nose, can become inflamed if you have uh, dysbiosis in your gut, um, and it can cause it more uh, can cause inflammation of these tissues, which makes it more difficult to breathe through the nose. Then we um, breathe through the mouth, and then it causes further inflammation of these tissues um, and uh, further blockage of the nose and sinuses. So. Um, it's both looking at and clearing the nose, so establishing nasal breathing. What does that mean? Like looking at the gut, uh, looking for food and environmental sensitivities, mold toxicity, um, mm -hmm. things like that to help have like a clear environment um, and uh, a good microbiota to support that. But then also cleaning the nose and teaching kids to care for their nose the same way we are teaching them to, to, to care for their teeth. It's a great point. It is. The last little question I have here before we wrap up is one thing you did not mention is taping your mouth shut. Can you either debunk that or advocate for it? I have adult patients who do it. And, you know, to your point earlier, with a lot of adults will suffer from fatigue, chronic fatigue from being mouth breathers overnight because you're not, like you said, you're not oxygenating your body like you should and you're staying in that kind of high fight or flight feeling. Yes. And so that's just a cascade of, you know, more yes. chronic symptoms that I see in adults. How do you feel about taping the mouth shut? <laughs> not in children. I will not put you on the stand for that. I am. But the thing for children is- <laughs> Well, let me mouth. just tell you, say that again. I said, so for adults, if they're needing to use tape to keep their mouth closed, a thing that you can do with kids is get them to chew their food with their mouth closed rather than having their mouth open and breathing through their mouth when they're eating food because they're not breathing through their nose. 
So that would be the mouth tape for kids is teaching them to chew with their mouth closed. Absolutely. But I will tell you, I, uh, without shame, I'm a huge uh, believer of mouth taping, both in kids yeah. and adults. Oh, um, awesome. And they're actually research coming out to support that. The only difficulty is um, um, uh, limitations that like with research, because uh, uh, research has to be approved, uh, you know, uh, before you do a research project, you have to get it approved and they're not approving like the super young ages uh, for mm -hmm. mouth taping research. But uh, the one thing that we need to make sure though, so, um, uh, we need to make sure that the nose is working, right? So like if you have a blocked nose and you're taping your mouth, like uh, mouth breathing is a compensation to be able to breathe. Like we need to be able to breathe, right? <laughs> <laughs> so um, we need to make sure the nose is open and patent and is able to work. Um, so that's the first thing that, especially in kids, like most kids can tolerate mouth taping, but again, if they have huge tonsils and adenoids and their airway gets blocked at night and their only mechanism to breathe is through, through the mouth, we don't want to tape the mouth. We want, and we don't want to use very strong tape so that they can take it off. Usually like with my kids, uh, when we do mouth taping, I, uh, uh, tilt a corner so that they're able to take it off uh, mm -hmm. if they want to, right? There are, uh, I would recommend whoever wants to try mouth taping, first of all, like I would want them to be working with a, a provider. So a lot of my functional therapists, so my functional therapists are um, uh, uh, therapists that are trained in proper oral function they typically start working with uh, kids around five years and older. That's when like my functional therapy is, uh, is appropriate. Um, cause it's like a more of a, like a instructional therapy. Like I, I'm asking you to do this and you follow. Uh, so recommended age is usually like five and up, but a, my functional therapist can also evaluate your nasal breathing to make sure like your nose is working well and they can guide you through the mouth taping process. Uh, typically I recommend starting mouth taping at night, uh, during the day because it, first of all, gives you more awareness of like how much you're actually mouth breathing because most of us, most of us mouth breathe more than we think. Um, and it also, uh, makes your brain more used to the idea, um, uh, because you see that you're surviving with your mouth closed. And uh, that's mm -hmm. the biggest fear for a lot of my older patients is like, what if I like suffocate and die at night? You know, like <laughs> um, <laughs> that gives you the confidence. For kids, there is a tape called Myotape, M-Y-O tape. You can find it on Amazon too they, or uh, from their website. But it goes around the lips, okay? And it leaves the mouth open. So if they want to, they can still open. And, and breathe if they need to. And it's more of a, like it's less scary than like taping over the mouth. And mm -hmm. there's also VioTape that goes like this. There's like a lot of different, or you can just use like a, um, uh, um, uh, bandage, um, uh, a, a soft tape, like a paper tape 
that's used for frequent bandage changes, uh, the 3M Micropore tape. Um, I just cut like a piece like this big. I fold one side and put it like this. It's just to mm. keep the lips together um, and it can come off easily too. But um, they're actually, there's, uh, so there is a, an institute in California. There's a, a it's called the Breathe Institute. Um, the founder and the clinical director is Dr. Saroosh Sagi. And he's a Harvard grad who is like basically like dedicated his practice to uh, tongue ties and, and, and uh, airway uh, health and nose breathing. And he uh, is doing a lot of research. So the past like five, 10 years, well, more than more like five, five to seven years, he has published over 97 uh, research uh, around this topic. So there's a lot more awareness that um, now than like five, seven years ago. Um, uh, and uh in the works currently, they are uh, re uh, uh, doing research about mouth taping. Uh, so that should be coming out soon to have like actual like research um, uh, to back up um, our claims. <laughs> so uh, that's that's really exciting. Wonderful. Does that answer your question it on does. mouth taping? Yes, it absolutely does. Thank you for that because that I think it will reassure a lot of people and it gives them a, a guideline, a very, you know, gentle guideline to safely kind of do that alongside a practitioner. So yes, thank you for that. And I mean, the amount that I think both of us have learned, because I, listen, I'm like, just going to throw my whole family under the bus here. I'm such a mouth breather. And my husband does this annoying thing where he posts pictures of me literally sleeping with my mouth wide open. And I'm like, all the things, all these things. So I'm just going to go ahead and start mouth breathing. Anyways. I'm a nose breather. I can't stand it. My husband will he breathes into his nose and out through his mouth at night. And he makes this popping sound when his lips open. Oh, yeah. And I hit, I'm like, stop. That's stop. How do you, how does that not keep you awake? But I'm it's just wide open. That's terrible. Anyway, throw things in there. Yes, you could, you could absolutely throw things in there. I would never know. But thank you so much, Dr. Chapari. This has been so educational and informative, um, not only for oh, us, so but I'm sure listening and, and before awesome. um where can our community reach you so the best uh place would be uh our website www.drsamirajafari.com um and uh the name of our practice integrated is integrative family dentistry uh where we do um everything dentistry and incorporate airway into it uh, so, um, uh, excited to help, uh, there, there is an email on the website. So any questions or concerns, I would be happy to, um, answer if you, uh, send us an email. Absolutely. Thank you. And we'll make sure that those are linked in the show notes. So you can just go and click on her link and get, get to her. So until next time, let's, let's discover together. together. We hope you've enjoyed this journey of exploration and learning as much as we have. Before you go, we have a special request for you, our beloved discoverers. We'd be thrilled if you could show your support in a few easy steps. Step one, if you're watching on YouTube, please hit that like button and subscribe to our channel. 
Don't forget, turn that notification bell so you never miss a moment of discovery. Step two, if you're listening via Apple Podcasts, please take a moment to rate and review our show. Your feedback means the world to us and helps others discover our podcast too. Step three, whether you're on YouTube or listening on your favorite podcast platform, please share the Discovery Doc podcast with your friends, family, and social networks. It's the best way to spread the joy of discovery. And finally, don't forget to follow us on social media. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at the Discovery Doc. Stay connected with us for updates, behind the scenes content, and so much more. Plus, for exclusive content and additional resources, be sure to check out our website at www.thediscoverydoc.com. And while you're there, if you have a burning question or a topic you'd like us to discuss on the show, simply let us know. Thank you, Discoverers, for being part of our incredible journey. Until next time, let's discover together. The content provided in this podcast provides general information and discussions on various topics related to health, wellness, and medical advancements. However, it is essential to understand that the content provided in this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. The hosts, guests, and contributors are individuals sharing their personal experiences, opinions, and knowledge in their respective fields. While they strive to provide accurate, up-to-date information, medical knowledge is constantly evolving and the information presented in this podcast may not always reflect the most current research and medical guidelines. It is crucial to consult with a qualified healthcare professional or medical expert for specific medical concerns. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay seeking medical treatment based on the information presented in this podcast. The Discovery Doc Podcast encourages listeners to use their own judgment and discretion while implementing any suggestions, recommendations, or lifestyle changes discussed in this episode. Each individual's medical situation is unique and may work for one, may not be suitable or safe for another. The podcast hosts, guests, and contributors are not liable for any direct, indirect, consequential, or incidental damages or harm that may arise from listening or acting upon the information provided in this podcast. Listeners are responsible for their own health decisions and should exercise caution and seek professional guidance when necessary. By listening to this podcast, you acknowledge that you have read, understood, and agreed to this medical disclaimer. If you have any questions or concerns about this medical disclaimer, please consult a qualified healthcare professional.